Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Luke chapter 9, we're talking about living the life of a disciple. Living the life of a disciple. The goal of what we walk out in a relationship with God of Christianity is to become like Jesus. That's the goal. That's what we're here to do. We're not here to continue to live the life again of a mere human or somebody who still lives in the sense of uh, natural flesh or the carnal flesh who does not yet have the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of God. We have new life. We have Zoe life in us. God wants that to come out and impact every part of our life. Why would we not want to live the kind of life of Jesus? But it doesn't just happen. And that's where the problem falls. Problem falls into most people's lives as a believer that they don't realize that to live that kind of life that's been given them the privilege to live, it doesn't just happen. There's stuff we need to do, obviously, to quote unquote become a disciple. If we're going to make, if we're going to go make disciples, well, those who are being made disciples have to become one. And I, I've already explained to you, walk through you the four growth stages of the believer. What's the first one? Convert. Convert. What's the second one? Epistle. What's the third one? Disciple. What's the fourth one? You should be able to know these by heart. If you don't know them, you'll never become a disciple of Jesus. Guaranteed. If I wanted to become something in relationship to an aspect of lifestyle of what I'm not, getting better at it, guess what I need to do? I need to learn everything about it. I need to know everything there is to know about it. And if you want to truly walk the life of a disciple, you need to know everything there is to know about it. Amen? One more time. What's the first one? Everybody should know this. Convert. Second one? Epistle. Third one? Disciple. Fourth one? So we've covered that. Now we're going to look again at the things that Jesus said in this verse. In Luke's account, we've been looking at Matthew's account in Matthew 16, 24, but we're now looking at Luke's account of the same thing, of what Luke wrote down inspired by the Holy Spirit relating to becoming a disciple of Jesus. So he gives us four things in one verse of, what's, of what is a necessity or necessary to live out this kind of lifestyle as a disciple. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said to them all. So who's this available to? Everybody. He even states it in the very first statement of his actual uh, point in verse 23. If anyone, anyone, so this is available to anybody. If anyone desires to come after me. Now I've told you this, and we'll keep reminding you. The phrase come after me there in the Greek language is actually stated as to become my disciple. To become my disciple. Come after means you're walking in his footsteps. You're, you're, you're literally looking like him, walking after his example. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, Luke said, and follow me. Now, I know there are some translations that, admit the, that omit the daily, but the truth is it's implied in other parts of Scripture. Paul stated this way, I die daily. So I'm not going to live according to that old flesh nature. I die to that every day. How often you got to die to that? Every day. So that I can walk in this new nature that I now have within me, walking out my life as a, a disciple of Jesus. The first phrase kind of gets read over, and I actually did for years, and gets missed. If anyone desires to come after me, then the emphasis becomes, okay, deny self, 
Take up your cross daily and then follow him. But let's go through them again. I want you to get these. I'll stay on these if I have to preach it for three months till you can quote it to me. Because if you're going to become a disciple, you've got to know how do I do that? He just told you in that one verse how you become a disciple. First, I must have a desire to do what? I must have a, desi- have a desire to live like him. Yes. To come after him means to live like him. If you don't have a desire to live like him, forget about the rest of it. Because it's the desire that will press you through the hard times. It's the desire that will cause you to overcome the carnality of the flesh and the times that you don't want to go to church and the times that you don't want to fellowship with Him. The only part of you, listen, your spirit loves everything about God. The part of you that doesn't is your flesh. When we are giving ourselves to our flesh, we are not going to walk like Jesus. We're going to walk like carnal Christians. That ain't good. I said that ain't good. Carnal Christians reap corruption. Carnal Christians mean what? Governed by their old carnal nature. Spiritual Christians reap life and peace. So what do you want? So if you want more corruption, just keep going the way you in relationship to the flesh. If you're living by the flesh, by the context of the flesh, controlled by the flesh, the way you're going, and you're not going to walk in the very life God has for you. So there's four things he just told you to become a disciple. One, desire to be like him. If anybody desires to come after me. So that means my ultimate passion in life, my ultimate desire in life is not to be a world champion bull rider. It's not to be somebody great in the eyes of man. It's not to attain some level of wealth in life. That's not my ultimate desire. My ultimate passion and desire has to be, I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk like Jesus on this planet. So if anybody desires to come after me, number one, what if I don't have the desire? You'll never do the next three. You'll never do them. But if I have that desire, what am I going to do? You're going to go to stage two, which is what? Denying the old self. When he says deny self here, he's not talking about the new you. We don't want to deny that new spiritual nature that's in us. That's what we're trying to learn to get to come out. So to deny self means I'm denying what? The old, Adamic, fallen nature. Right? Does my old Adamic fallen nature want to give to the kingdom? Nope. Does my spirit? Yes. Yep. Does my old Adamic nature want to punch somebody in the face when they've, when they've wronged me? Or, or, or does it want to forgive? No, it wants to punch. What's your spirit nature want to do? Forgive. Walk away. See, you got a choice. If I don't deny that old fallen nature, guess what I'm not going to do? Live like Jesus. But we want to focus on understanding this as it relates to what he's talking about, about becoming a disciple. Where do I really have to focus on denying my old fleshly nature to become a disciple, where your flesh wants to pull you away from what it takes to be a disciple. You listening to what I'm saying? If you don't recognize the things that will make you a disciple that we're going through now, if you don't recognize the keys, the, the, the characteristics, the attributes of what makes a disciple, if you don't recognize those as we're now, we're now starting to go through, if you don't recognize those things, guess what? You're not recognizing what you got to deal with in your flesh to be able to become a disciple. Right. What am I denying of my old self? The part of me that doesn't want to do the things right. to become a disciple. You know what your flesh doesn't want to do? Bide in the Word. No. You know what your flesh wants to do? Love others and other things, even yourself, more than God. Oh, yes. Your flesh wants to do what you want to do, not God. Right. See, these are things that are required as we're going to go through them up to what a disciple becomes in relationship to Jesus, up to the characteristics they walk out. So when he says deny the old flesh nature, what is he referring to? The flesh nature that would pull you away from doing what's necessary 
to become a disciple. Amen. Amen. Awful quiet. So number two, I got to deny the old flesh nature as it relates to my new spirit man, my new spirit nature, and what the Bible says it takes to be a disciple, right? Yes. And then number three, I got to do what? Taking up the cross means I got to do what now? I got to now take up God's will. What was the cross for Jesus? God's will. He was fulfilling the will of God. You got to take up your cross. Yes. Well, is that dying to self? No, you did that in the denial of the old self nature. Understand these two. Make it, make it clear. Taking up your cross is not dying to the old self-nature. You did that before you ever took up your cross. Jesus did that in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, when people argue this, well, no, taking up your cross is dying to self. No, Jesus died to self before he ever went to that cross. He did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, Father. So he had already denied self in that garden. Going to that cross was the will of God for him. That's why he came. What's the will of God for you? Well, it's the will of God for you to be a disciple. So you got to know now I take up God's will for my life of what it takes to become a disciple. I wasn't doing that before I was born again. I didn't read my Bible and study the word. I didn't feed on the word of God. I didn't feed on teaching of the word of God. I didn't go to church. I didn't pray. I didn't fellowship with God. I didn't pray in the Holy Ghost. Wasn't baptized in the Holy Ghost. Wasn't even born again. See, I didn't do the things... That will make me a disciple before I was born again. So now I got to do what? Pick those things up. I got to now take up what is God's will for my life to become a disciple. Right? And then number four, and don't miss this one. And then he said, follow me. So if you look up that phrase, follow me, what does it mean? The actual statement of the Greek language says it this way. Become my companion. Become my companion. You're not going to become a disciple of Jesus if you're not going to become his companion. And I've used many examples. Use examples of my life. In the rodeo world, I wanted to be a better bull rider. I found a guy that was good, and guess what he was willing to do? Take me under his wing, so I became his companion. I hung out with him. I spent time with him. If you're not going to become Jesus' companion, how are you going to become his disciple? The reason that, honestly, here's the thing. The reason that a lot of people don't have Jesus as their companion is, you know why? You're right back to the very first thing. You're not willing to do what? You don't have a desire, a passion to become like him. Because if you got a passion to become like him, guess who you're going to hang out with? Him. You're going to spend time with him. Can I get a better amen? So these are four things. Although the growth stages are important, these are four things that every believer should memorize. Get them quoted from this verse, from Matthew 16, 24, that you would never forget them. What does it take to be a disciple, pastor? One, a desire to be like him. If you don't have that desire, nothing else will work. I have found this over and over again with people who constantly go through problems and then they want help when all the problems arise and they keep going through the same routine over and over and over and over and over again. Now, you know, it's not understandably. If you're a baby Christian, it's kind of like raising a baby, right? You know, they're going to spit up multiple times over and over and over again. So we're not saying that doesn't happen with a baby in relationship to a Christian. But after you've been walking with God for a while, guess what? You're supposed to get off the sucky bottle. Right? You're not supposed to keep sucking on the bottle. You're supposed to start doing what? Getting to the meat of the word. But here's why most of them don't. They won't consistently do the things that will develop them and grow them as a believer. They don't do it consistently. They're very inconsistent. I've watched this for 34 years as a pastor. Say whatever you want about what I'm about to tell you, but it's an absolute. I've watched it proven over and over and over again. True disciples of Jesus, they're consistent in all the things of God. 
Not because they have to be. Because if they feel like they have to be, guess what they don't really have a desire for? To be like Jesus. If they feel like they have to do it, well, the desire isn't to become like Jesus. They feel like they have to do it to show to God something about them that they are obviously doing what he wants them to do. That's not desiring to be like Jesus. That's what the religious people do. See, I don't go to church because I have to. I don't come here because I'm paid. No, I could have gone anywhere I wanted to today. I didn't have to be here. Well, we'd have fired you. You can't fire me. There's no firing of a pastor biblically. Now, you could leave the church, go find a pastor that's not so lazy, who doesn't want to be on the lake on Sunday morning fishing instead of teaching you the word, which I wouldn't be today. It's too cold. <laughs> or at a golf course, which I wouldn't be at today because it's too cold. But you understand what I'm saying? People think, well, you got to come to church. No, no, I don't. What, where do you find a verse that says, I got to come to church? I don't have to do anything I don't want to, same as you. You know why I come? Tell you why. Because I love Jesus. I want to know him better. I want to be a better disciple. And therefore, I want to fulfill his plan for my life. How can I do that without doing what he's called me to do? Can I get a better amen? Inconsistency, 34 years of pastoring. Inconsistency in people's lives to do what the Bible says it takes to be a disciple and remain one is the key thing that hurts people's lives. Why are they inconsistent? One, they don't, they don't have the desire to be like him. So four things, I have to have the desire to be like him. Yes, no, maybe. Yes. If you're going to get mad at me, I'm not going to preach this anymore. I'm going to just shut down right now. We'll just send you to lunch. No, no I'm joking. Just teasing, just messing with you, just making sure you're awake. Number one, I got to what? Desire. Have a desire to be like him. Then number two, if I have that desire, what do I got to do? Deny. I got to deny the, get the, I got to deny the old self nature. Don't just say self. We don't want to deny the new self, the new you. We want that guy to rise up and take dominance. But I got to deny that old self-nature. If you want to say it this way, carnal nature, fleshly nature, whatever you want to say, that's the one he's telling you to deny. And then the third thing I got to do, now I got to take up God's will. I got to start walking out what the Bible teaches that I'm to do as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then if I am going to do that, number four, I got to what? I got to make Jesus my companion. If I don't make Jesus my companion, see, I don't want you to look at that and say, well, I got to follow Jesus. No, you got to become his companion. The word follow means to be his companion. Get connected with him. Stay close to him. So now we're talking about relationship. Can I get a better amen? So very important you understand this. So go back with me to John chapter 8 where we were on Wednesday night. Those are the four things it takes to make a disciple. As you go through the characteristics of what Jesus and the Bible says a disciple is. That's all we're doing. We're just looking at verses that say, this is what a disciple is, or if you don't do this, then you're not my disciple. So all we're doing is just looking at what the Bible says a disciple is. These are the characteristics or the traits of a disciple. You should know them. You should know these as well. Wow, this is a lot to know. You want to live like Jesus or not? So, understanding these characteristics or these traits helps us recognize I got to deal with my flesh in this area so that my flesh doesn't keep me from doing that. I got to deal with the fleshly man, deny that old self nature so that I can start doing these new things that I'm to do to become like Jesus. Amen. Amen. And by the way, what got you there is what will keep you there. I'll show you this later at some point. You can write it down if you want. It's one of the most, you know, obviously uh, chapters and verses were added later by English translators for us to reference. But interesting, you know, if you know 666 is the fullness number of man, right? 
666 is the fullness number of man. Talking about spirit, soul, and body, totally carnally driven. Totally carnal driven. So in context of that number, John 6, 66 says, many of his disciples left him and followed him no more. Why? They became totally carnal. They totally walked away from Jesus and had the opportunity to stay with him, but they chose not to. Well, guess what? Anybody who is a disciple can choose to go back to the carnal ways of living. And sadly, some do. You know what the Bible calls that? It's in the Bible. A backslider. A backslider. We don't want to backslide. We want to keep walking like Jesus. By the way, last point on this. If you walk and live like Jesus in these last days, you ain't going to have any problems. I don't mean you're not going to face problems. I'm just saying you'll overcome them. You're not going to be overcome by anything living the life that Jesus lived. What overcame Jesus? What overcame Jesus? Well, the cross did. No, it didn't. He was raised from the dead three days later. What overcame Jesus? Nothing. They couldn't even keep him in the grave. Well, they can't keep you down. If you live like Jesus, it might feel like sometimes you're in a grave, but all you got to do is just say, nope, I'm coming out in Jesus' name. <laughs> Jesus came out of that grave. I'm coming out. Praise the Lord. Thank you for all your amens about that. John 8, you still with me? Yes, sir. 31. So we touched on this Wednesday night. We're going to finish this one this morning. Jesus said to those Jews who what? Believed in him. So this will only work for people clearly that believe in Jesus. If, so there's a condition on our part. If you what? Underline it. Abide in my word. If you abide in my word, what are you? You're my disciples indeed. Well, I have a question. If I abide in his word, that makes me a disciple. What if I don't abide in his word? You'll never be a disciple. You'll never be a disciple. Because if it takes abiding in the word to be his disciple, if I'm not abiding in the word, guess what? I'm not a disciple. You can be, you can be born again. See, again, this is something a lot of people don't understand. You can be born again and never become a disciple. But that means you're going to live a carnal life. You're going to be affected by the things around you that Jesus already overcame. And sadly, a lot of people then get mad at God. They want to live in relationship to their carnality, but they still want everything of God to work in their life. And it don't work that way. You listening? The way you walk in victory is you live like Jesus lived. You know what Jesus knew. So if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. Now I want to focus on this for a minute and I want to remind you what we looked at. I don't have time to go there today. I want to remind you about what later on, John 15, Jesus told us about this. Remember what he said? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So now he gives us a better understanding of this statement here. So abiding in him and his word abiding in us is this phrase here in John 8, 31. If you abide in my word. So what does it mean here? The word comes alive in you. Say it. The word comes alive in me. The more the word comes alive in you, guess what you now have? Manifested truth. What happens when the word comes alive in you? Verse 32 kicks in. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? What is it that's going to actually cause you to be delivered and and liberated and free from what Satan wants for your life? It ain't your effort. It ain't your power. It ain't your ability. What is it? It's the truth. It's the truth that sets you free. Read it again. You shall know the truth and the truth shall do what? Make you free. What's going to free me from wrong thinking? The truth. What's going to free me from a lifestyle of bondage? Truth. What's going to free me? From worry, fear, stress, and all the things of this world. Truth. What's going to free me from every form of disease, sickness, for every aspect of darkness? The truth will. Amen. 
But this knowing, and this is where a lot of Christians miss it, ain't head knowledge. This is not what it's referring to. The phrase to know here is to, like example, let's say, for example, you told me, now, Pastor, I want to explain to you, uh, I'll use a perfect, perfect example of last Sunday, right? I knew nothing about this. The dealer didn't tell me about it. I had no idea when I bought a diesel that I had a place to plug the diesel in to heat the block up when it got really cold. And with a diesel, that's what you got to do when it gets really cold. So Josh said, man, did you not plug your truck in last night? I said, do what? (laughs) Plug your truck. I said, I didn't know there was a plug on there to do that. I mean, I knew the older diesels had them. I knew that. But I didn't know. I said, no, I didn't know about it. Right? So he's telling me about this. Well, guess what? I don't know it yet in the way that I should. You know why? I've never done it. I've never found the plug. I've never plugged it in. I've never understood how to do that. So him telling it to me doesn't set me free. If all Josh did is say, listen, you can plug, your, you can plug that diesel in at night. When it gets down the teens like this, and there's a heater in that block, and it'll keep your antifreeze warm, and heat your, and that'll heat your oil, heat your block up. And when you go to start that truck in the morning, man, it'll fire right up, just like as if it's almost been running. Well, guess what that's freeing me from? A broke-down truck from the cold weather. You still here? But if all I know that is in my head, I've never gone and found the plug. Don't know where it's at. Don't know how to do it. Come on. If I've never gone and put application to what he told me, it doesn't heat my block by me knowing about it. It don't keep it from getting to the degree of cold where it may not start by just me knowing it. This is a problem with believers. They think knowing the truth here is just knowing it up here. No, it's not. It's application. So the word know here means to know by actual experience. You know it because you've done it. You know it because you put it into practice. Yes, Lord. Amen? Amen? And I was like, I have no idea where there's a plug. So guess what I did? I jumped online, did some research. Where's that plug at? Because we couldn't find it initially. Well, it was tucked away in a little hole up in the front bumper, taped away up there. I said, hey, Josh. Because he said, let me go check it for you, man. It was church day. It was on a Sunday. Let me go check it for you. And I said, do you know where it's at? I said, no. But I jumped online and found a deal that showed where it was. I said, hey, it shows that it's under the left side of the front bumper up there taped up. Well, he found it and got it untaped and everything else. And lo and behold, now I know how to do it. And guess what it did? It freed me. Really freed my, my truck. But it freed me from not having a truck that wouldn't start. As simple as that illustration is, Christians still don't get this when it comes to the Bible. You don't know the truth because you got it up here. You know the truth because you put it into practice and you see it working. And when you put it into practice, truth kicks in and frees you. And most people never get it into practice. They just know it in their head. But you got to learn to practice it. Can I get a better amen? You want to get good at it? You better practice it. Now listen, I'm an expert now plugging in my heater thing on my truck. I practice, I know where, I've done it multiple times now. I know right where it is. <laughs> I know right where to get to it. Know when I'm supposed to do it. Amen. Come on, somebody. So this is all based on what again? This is all based on whether I've been abiding in the word. See, if that word comes alive in me, when does the word come alive in me? Not just when you know it in your head. When will that word come alive in me? When you do it. When you put application to it, all of a sudden it'll be like, oh, hey, I got it now. I get it, right? 
It's like me with, uh, I, I, like, I like working with my hands, man. I can weld. I took welding shop in school. Man, when I was in school, man, we had all kinds of classes. I had welding shop. I had a meat, I had a butcher shop, butcher class for a whole year. I could cut up your meat. I could do your hamburger, your steaks, your, all that stuff. We learned all that stuff a whole year in school. When I was in the school I was in, I had a mechanics class, man. We tore an engine down, completely rebuilt it. Well, I couldn't do that today with all the computer stuff. But back then, you know, it was pretty simple. Man, I, I worked on my cars all the time. Did all the work on my cars all the time. Changed all, everything from, you know, rear ends in my truck. Man, I've actually swapped them out. I've actually changed every kind of thing you can name. You join, name it. I mean, I pretty much changed everything on a vehicle that was a vehicle back then. And I learned that by actually experience. Yes. Not just sitting in class and hearing them tell me, well, this is how you do that. No, all those classes were hands-on classes. All of them. They took us into the actual shop in that, in that mechanics class, and we had a motor there that we had to tear, all of it had to tear down and go through so you could see what the valves look like. And that's what a rocker is. That's a lifter. And that's a push rod. That's a crankshaft. That's the bearings for the crankshaft. That's the bearings for the, for the cam. That's the camshaft that lifts the actual push, pushes the push rods and opens the valves and allows the gas and air. See, I'm boring some of you, I know. But I'm just telling you, if all you had was head knowledge sitting behind an actual chair looking at a board and then teaching you this, you would never be able to do it until you actually had hands-on experience to go do it. Can I get a better amen? amen. See, back in the day, you had a choice between, I know this will really interest you, solid lifters or hydraulic. Those open your valves. Solid lifters, hate them. Why? Because they don't have any movement to them. And because of that, over time, the rockers that push them down get loose. Guess what you used to get with your vehicle when you bought a vehicle that day? You got instructions in your manual how to take your valve covers off and adjust your valves. Right. Wow. It was in your manual. As an owner, you could learn how to adjust your own valves because over time they'd get loose. And I had one time an actual rocker come loose to the degree it popped off the actual lifter. And guess what my car did? It started backfiring through the carburetor because it couldn't allow it to go through the valve. Josh knows about that deal because it was a car I bought. So you got to understand this, folks. I, I'm sorry to bore you with the car class today, but I want you to get this. You're not abiding in the word. It's not alive in you yet. Until you do what? Until you actually walk it out. When you walk it out and you start putting application to it, guess what? It starts becoming real to you. It starts coming alive in you. So application is absolutely necessary. What are we talking about as it relates to a believer? You'll never abide in the word without a desire to become like Jesus. Come on. That word will never come alive in you if you don't have a desire to be like Jesus. Deny the old nature that doesn't want to read the Bible, doesn't want to come to church. And then put application to it. Amen. Your flesh don't want to do any of that. Amen. But if you deny that old nature, you take up now what is God's will for your life. Guess what's going to happen if you live in the Bible and allow it to come alive in you? You're going to know truth and truth's going to do what? It's going to set you free. So the first characteristic vital to a believer, and the reason I bring it out as the number one point of a disciple is, a disciple clearly does what? Abides in God's word. Say it. A disciple... Abides in God's word. Now, remember, John 15 tells you further what that means. It means it comes alive in you. Well, it's not going to if you don't live in it. How's the word going to come alive in you if you don't live in it? But it takes more than living in the Bibles. I'm going to show you today. So understand this. If you want to be a disciple, anybody want to live the life Jesus lived? 
You should ask yourself this in relationship to your lifestyle. Go to Ephesians 4. You should ask yourself this very simply. Look at different times in your life. You've allowed people to get to you. You've got frustrated in life. You've got worried. You've gotten fearful. Don't tell me none of those things have ever happened in your life. I'll guarantee you they've happened to everybody. But guess what? They didn't happen to Jesus. Paul learned how not to live that kind of life. Paul wrote about it. Why? He lived it. Do you remember, you remember when Jesus was preaching relationship to the gospel uh, in uh, context of the uh, Pharisees and stuff, listening to him and the people and all that? And the people were astonished at his teaching. Remember this? They said they were astonished. Ready? Ready? Because he was like one who had authority. What's that mean? What does that mean? He taught, and said, and said, he didn't teach, he don't teach like the scribes and Pharisees. Wow, this guy teaches like he's got authority. So what, he lifted his voice louder? No, he knew what he was talking about. I'm going to tell you why. If you ever try to tell somebody else about a subject of which you've never done, you've never lived it. There's no real authority behind what you're saying because you've never lived it, you've never proven it. But when you've lived it and proven it, there's a greater authority that comes. You listening? Through what you're saying, because you're confident, you know it works. You listening? A lot of teachers, that's why I say all the time, why would you want a pastor? Never cast out a demon. Not everybody's going to raise the dead, but I mean, never laid hands on the sick. Never, you know, uh, obviously done what the Bible says, the basics of Christianity are. How are they going to teach you to do that? How are they going to teach you to do that? That's like me going to somebody who's never been on a bull before and say, hey man, I want to be a bull rider in the worst way. I want you to teach me. They've never been on one. <laughs> what do you think you're going to do? You're going to get the snot knocked out of you. That's what you're going to do. Right. You don't get killed. Right. <laughs> are you listening? So you got to understand this, folks. You got to realize application is the key to obviously abiding in the word because now that word does what? Comes alive in you. Ephesians 4 talks about this and proves it out. We started here on Wednesday night, so we didn't get to finish it. I want to pick it back up. Ephesians 4, 17, Paul here says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind. Once you're born again, what should you no longer do? You should no longer walk. What's walk? Live. You should no longer have the lifestyle of a Gentile. Gentiles are those who don't know God. I pass it over again. Holy Spirit keeps reminding me. So in Luke 9, 23, he said to take up your cross, doing what it takes to be a disciple. How often? How often? Daily. Daily. See, Christianity is a lifestyle. That's what makes us different in relationship to every other form of religion in the world because Christianity is not a religion. Religion, there there are aspects of doctrine that are considered good in the sense of religion as it relates to the lifestyle of God. But most religions man-made, you understand that. Almost every aspect of every religion, doesn't matter what it is. It's a religion meaning what? There's no life in it. There's no life in it. There's no life in Buddha. You listening? There's no life in all these Hindu gods. There's no life in all, what? They're dead. And or never existed. Right? There's no life in that golden calf. Why? It's just a golden calf. Man made it. It don't, it don't, there's no life in it. There's no person in there. But you got to understand this. Christianity is not a religion. It's a lifestyle. If you don't want to live the lifestyle of a Christian, I have a question. Why did you get born again? Why? A lot of people, I think, aren't even born again because they just prayed a prayer because they didn't want to go to hell. Well, the Bible says you got to have godly sorrow. 
2 Corinthians 7.10. I got to have godly sorrow which produces repentance and leads me to salvation. That's what I love about witnessing the gospel. If you witness the gospel biblically, guess what you're never going to do? You're never going to get anybody saved. What? No, you're never going to get anybody saved. You're not the Savior. You're not going to get them saved. What are you going to do? Present the gospel. Well, how are they going to get saved? If they got godly sorrow, guess what's going to happen? It'll produce repentance and it'll lead them to salvation. I can't make them do that. If I'm getting them saved, I'm making them do that. If I'm getting them saved, I'm the one making them do that. No, I just present the gospel. I just present what the Bible says, and then I find out if they got godly sorrow or not. And if they got godly sorrow, who is it that really gets them born again? The Holy Ghost. He's the one that comes in and gives them new life, not me. Now, see, a lot of people think that statement's unbiblical. No, it's not. I couldn't save anybody. You couldn't save anybody. I'm not out to save anybody. I'm out to share the gospel. As I share the gospel, this takes the total weight off of you. What if they don't get born again? It's not your responsibility whether they get born again or not. There's not a place in all the Bible that says you're responsible to get people born again. It don't say that. It says you're responsible to preach the gospel. I'm not responsible to get them born again. I couldn't. If they don't have God to show, there's nothing I could do to convince them to get born again. Well, I need to try to convince those people that they need to go to heaven. No. The Bible says if they come to God, they got to believe that he is. And they don't even believe. I had a guy today say, well, believe there's a God. Sorry, can't help you. I can't. I love, people think this is, this is the Bible. I, I remember uh, brother uh, uh, Kenneth Hagin had a guy in a meeting that kept coming to him after the meeting through a side over where he was by the side door. He'd catch him, he'd say, now you got to convince me you're God's ruler. Or I'm going to hell my life's on your, uh, my blood of my life's on your hands. He said, no, it's not. No, it's not. Well, you got to convince me you're God's ruler. No, I don't. No. See you. Walked on. Right. He'd make the guy mad. <laughs> Next day at the next meeting, he catch him again. The guy catch him again. I'm telling you, you got to convince me you're God's real. If you don't convince me you're God's real, then you're the one going to be held accountable. No, won't. No. No. Even the world, the Bible says, reveals the attributes of God. You have to believe that he is or you can't even come to him. See you. He walked off again. Right. Next day, <clears throat> guy came to him again. He said, you know what? I've been thinking about what you said. And he said, you're right. So if I don't believe he is, there's nothing you can do to convince me that he is. I got to believe he is. Can I get a better amen? You don't get anybody saved. What's your responsibility? And Christians aren't doing real good at this. We need to share the gospel. See, I just share the gospel. If they don't want to get born again, I just move on. Because I've either watered or planted a seed or found somebody that doesn't have godly sorrow. If they don't have godly sorrow, nothing I can do to get them born again. So back to verse 17, all that, all that out of one verse. We're in trouble because i got a whole bunch of more verses to get to here. Realize this. You're not to live like a Gentile, one who does not know God. When you get born again, why do you get born again? Live a whole new life. Yes. To not sound like, look like, act like, think like, walk like, talk like anybody who doesn't know God. No, I'm supposed to look like Jesus. When was the first time the word Christian was ever used in the Bible? Where in Acts? Anybody know? Chapter 9. First time it's ever used. The term was never used until Acts chapter 9. Jesus never said you got to be a Christian. Disciples never said you got to be a Christian. Who actually brought the word up? Those in Antioch did. Not even believers. But nobody, nobody of a believer said, we're going to bring up a new phrase that if you're born again, here it is, you're a Christian. That's never in the Bible. It's never in the Bible. The first time it comes up is in Acts chapter 9 when they saw what the disciples, who? 
Right. Meaning what? They're living like Jesus. Right. They're doing what Jesus did. And when they saw it, what, what did they talk? Well, who are these guys? They're these, these are the little Christ followers. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. They're doing what that Christ man, the anointed man did. Yes. That's where the term came from. Right. People should not be calling you a Christian if you look nothing like Jesus. Come on. Wow. I'll digress. <laughs> That's the facts. Acts, uh, again, Ephesians chapter 4 says in verse 17, we shouldn't look like the Gentiles. Why do the Gentiles live a life that you and I should not be living? Watch. In, because they have walk, walked in what? Futility of their mind. What's futility of their mind? Devoid of truth. So they don't abide in the Bible. And guess what? The Bible can't become real to them. Those who are perishing, it's foolishness. 18 tells you so. Having their understanding what? Darkened. They don't understand the Bible. It's darkened. Why? Their spirit's not born again. They're alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of what? Their heart. Now, your heart's not blind. Your heart's born again. Your light has the ability to see all the light it needs. If you're devoid of truth, it's because you have not done what's necessary to become a disciple. You're not alienated from the life of God when you're born again. So guess what else you should have in that verse? Ignorance. We should not be ignorant of the truth. Ignorant means you don't know. No, if we're abiding in the word the way the Bible says to, guess what we're not going to be? Ignorant. Oh, amen. 19, going on talking about those who don't know God, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all in cleanness with greediness. You should not look at what sinners do and say, I'm shocked. Oh, they're sinners. Right. Right. I just can't believe what sinners do today. They've done it all through the history of the creation of the world. Right. It got so bad in Noah's day, God had to wipe them all out. Why? They're sinners. That's what sinners do. Guess what sinners do? They sin. It's in their nature. Verse 20. But you have not so, underline the next two words please, learned Christ. Guess what you got to do? Learn Christ. You got to learn of him. You got to learn his ways. You got to learn again who's on the inside of you now, the new you, and how to live out that new life. 21. You've not so learned Christ if indeed you've what? Heard him. Guess what you got to do? You got to hear him. Over and over and over again. How's hearing him? He's the word. You got to do what? You got to hear him and you got to be taught by him, taught by the word as the truth is in what? Jesus. Jesus. 22, you're to put off. Say put off. You're to put off concerning your former conduct, that old fleshly nature. The old man, which grows corrupt according to what? Deceitful lust. 23, you're to be what? Renewed in the spirit of your mind. What do you be? Renewed in the spirit of your mind. You're supposed to have your mind renewed to this new spirit life. Some translations say it refers to your attitude. Incorrect. If you look at the whole context here, it's simple. What's he talking about? You're not supposed to live like those who don't have a new born again uh, spirit within them. You got a brand new spirit. And what should you be doing? Renewing your mind to that new spirit man. Renewing your mind to this new person on the inside, this new life you've been given. Who are you? What do you have? What can you do? And if all you're going to do is go by your old outward fleshly nature, what you've looked at of the outward person, you're not going by the new man. 24, you're also supposed to, in taking, uh, renewing uh, renewing your mind of the new spirit man, putting off the old man, verse 24, what are you supposed to do? Put on the new one. Tell your neighbor, time to put on that new man. Curse something behind you, say, you need to put on that new man. Where is he? In me. I, I got to know where he is if I'm going to put him on. It's like if somebody said, hey, pastor, got a new suit for you. Would love for you to put it on. Fine. Where's it at? How can I put it on if I don't know where it's at? 
You know why a lot of people can't put on this new man? They don't even know where it's at. See, religion teaches you it's on the outside of what you do. No, 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 no. No, I'm acting upon the new guy that's on the inside, which brings him out. And doing the things to make him stronger. So you're to put on the new man, which again, notice this, was created what? Say, this is talking about me now. Say, this is talking about me now. Watch this. That new man's already in you. Watch. Which was created. He's not going to be. He already is. He was created according to what? God didn't mess up when he made you brand new on the inside. I caught myself yesterday. I did something and, and made a mistake and I dropped something, whatever. And I said, Daryl, you're so stupid. I said, no, you're not. God never created anything stupid. So your old flesh wants to jump in there all the time. You better correct it. I said, you better correct it. No, 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 no. I'm not stupid. God didn't make anything stupid. Sorry, Father. You didn't make me stupid. I'm not stupid. Praise God. I got the mind of Christ. Thank you, Joshua. Put on the new man, which was created according to what? God. He's in there. Say he's in there. In true righteousness and holiness. Your new man's man's as holy as you'll ever be. So what I want you to see here in verse 23, how do you fulfill the key verses here is 22, 23, 24. Although the other ones are critical. You're not to be devoid of truth. 22, gotta put off the new, I gotta put off the old man. How? Uh, 23, I do so by getting renewed to what? My new spirit nature. 24, and therefore put on the new man. Now to do that, I gotta do the things necessary to develop this spiritual nature to become the dominant one. As our men learned in the Total Man series. My spirit, my spirit is over me as a being as a whole is supposed to be the king or the ruler in my life. Because if it is, Jesus is my ruler. My spirit's yielded to him. My spirit, your spirit does not submit to carnal things. Never. Your spirit is brand new, made in the image and likeness of God. Ready? One spirit with the Lord. We're not saying you're not supposed to be under the rulership of King Jesus, but how do you do that? Let your spirit rule. When your spirit rules and dominates, your soul no longer dictates what you do. Your soul is your mind, what you reason out, your emotions, what you feel, come on, and your will, your own fleshly choices. My soul is not to be the ruler anymore. My spirit man is. I'm to renew my inner soul to understanding now this new man that's on the inside. And therefore, we actually allow the old nature to die away by allowing the new nature to rise up. And now the soul is nothing more than what? A servant. I did that in that moment of time. Oh, Daryl, you're so stupid. What said that? My spirit didn't say that. My spirit didn't say, man, you're stupid, Daryl. God didn't say, you're stupid, Daryl. What said it? My old fleshly nature. Guess what my spirit man immediately did? Took control. No, you're not. God don't make stupid people. Aren't you glad? I said, aren't you glad? Well, I've known some believers. No, 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 no. You knew their old nature on the outside. God don't make stupid people. You got the mind of Christ. You got the ability to know everything God knows. Can I get a better amen? See, you have to have that spirit man rise up and dominate and tell that soul to get back in the place where it belongs. So again, you have to be renewed in the spirit of your mind to put on this new man. Now go with me, please, to James chapter 1. So how do we do this, Pastor? How do we get renewed in the spirit of our mind? Now I'm going to tell you, primarily, you got to get this. To be renewed in this new spirit that you have within you, 
What do you got to focus on? New Testament. It will lead you to stuff in the Old Testament that will help you as you learn to study and come to church. Sure, absolutely. But you're not going to learn who you are in Christ in the Old Testament. You're going to learn who you are in Christ in the New Testament. That's why I got our guys going through the New Testament one chapter at a time. Because obviously in the Gospels, you learn about Jesus and the very one that I'm going to emulate. That I'm going to be a disciple of. But then I start learning in Romans through Revelation who I now am. You can't know who you are without renewing your mind to Romans through Revelations. As you're renewing your mind to Romans through Revelations, what are you doing? You're renewing your mind to that new spirit man. Come on, somebody. It's so simple. You see it over and over and over in verses. I use one that everybody knows. I have been crucified with Christ. Really? When did you go hang on a cross? But Paul said he did. He wasn't talking about his body. He wasn't even talking about his soul. What was he talking about? His spirit man. My spirit man was crucified with Christ. Listen, but he uses, I told you this before, but you got to recognize in using the term of who you are in the first person, you better learn to talk about your spirit man. You better get good at it. The better you get at it, guess what? Your spirit man rises to dominance. I know people right now in this room that are cold. No, you're not. Your spirit's not cold at all. Your spirit's not affected at all by the cold. That's right. Just your body. Just your body is. Right. Are you really cold? No, my body's cold. Well, that's just ridiculous, Pastor. Live by your carnal nature then. Choose to continue to call yourself a body. You're not a body. You're a spirit. So if I'm a spirit, why do I say I'm cold? Well, I'm hungry. When are you going to get done preaching? No, you're not hungry. Your spirit never gets hungry. Your spirit don't even need food to survive. Who's hungry? Your body. Any good amens on that? I am not a body. I've been crucified with Christ. Who? The old spirit man. It is no longer I who live. The old spirit man. Listen, the life that I now live. I. Who I? The new spirit man. I live by faith in the Son of God. Right? The, the, The life that I... Let me quote properly. The life that I now live in this body... See, he's not a body. The life I now live, the new spirit man, in this body I live by faith in the Son of God, what he did for me. So you got to understand this if you want to walk as a disciple. Jesus didn't see himself as a body. He didn't see himself as a soul. He knew just like what we recognize in the Bible, that he is a spirit just like the Father is a spirit. So how do we renew our minds to this, Pastor? James 1 helps us. James chapter 1, if you're there, say amen. amen. Verse 21, therefore do what? Lay aside all filthiness and overflow wickedness you can't just let your flesh do whatever it wants because if you do guess what you'll never do you'll never come to church and never take time to renew your mind you'll never take time to get to know God or pray you got to still deal with this outer man notice this underline it and do what receive with meekness the implanted word implanted word implanted word implanted word implanted word which is able to do what save your soul Mind, will, and emotion. What's it saving you from? That old nature. But I got to get it implanted in me. So how do I get it implanted in me? I got to do more than hear it. I got to do more than read it. You listening? But I want to start with an understanding what he said before it gets implanted. I have to receive with meekness. Say meekness. So first and foremost, for me and you to walk in this life as a disciple... I have to have my mind renewed. To get my mind renewed, number one, I have to receive what the Word says about me with humility. Amen. 
I have to receive what the word says about me with humility. With meekness, humility. Receive with what? Humility, meekness. What does that mean? Whatever the Bible says, that's what I go by. If this is what the Bible said I am, I don't care how I feel about it. I don't care what I see in the natural. I don't care what my parents tell me. If they're not telling me the right thing, come on. I don't care what my family members have told me. I don't care what my boss may tell me. Nope. Guess what I'm going by? What God said. To receive with meekness God's implanted word means I humbly accept everything it says about me. I don't argue it. I don't challenge it. See, more people would get healed if they'd accept what the word says. By stripes you are healed. Well, what if I accepted that? What if I really believe that? Come on, somebody. Receive with meekness what? The implanted word. So I got to be humble, number one, to receive it. Right? Yes, no, maybe. But then I got to do what? I got to get it implanted. How do I do that? That's the, that's the second step. First step, to get my mind renewed, what do I got to do? Got to come humbly to the word. I got to accept everything it says about me. Don't argue it. Don't question it. Don't challenge it. You believe the Bible or you don't. So what you want to do is believe the Bible. But how do I get it implanted? Watch this, 22, but be what? Doers of the word and not what? Hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So the second thing I got to do for you and me to renew our mind, I got to receive the word with humility and I got to do what? Act accordingly. I got to be a doer of the word. Doing what? What it says I now am. I'm a forgiver. How about you? I'm a lover. How about you? Praise God. I'm not a puncher. I'm not a strifer. I'm a forgiver. I'm a lover. I am somebody who truly recognizes as a child of God how I'm supposed to live in this life. I have faced people in situations where they're believers and they want nothing to do with me and I'm in a situation where I'm forced to have to be around them and you know what? I don't treat them any different than I've ever treated them in the past as I relate to them. I'm gonna, if I, if I, don't I don't walk up to people that have wronged me and constantly don't want to repent, don't want to do, no, I'm not going to hang out with them. But if I see them, I'm not going to say, hey, you old backslidden, sorry, believer you. No. No. You treat people the way you want to be treated. You know what I do? I'll walk up, love on them, say, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. And then I walk away, say, God bless you. I'm not going to fellowship with you. If you stabbed me in the back before and you're not going to repent, I'm not going to let you keep stabbing me in the back. That's not smart. Like Brother Hagin said, you love him at a distance. But if you happen to have, you know, Brother Summerall, I wish I had time. Great story. He had a deacon in a church, didn't want him there to preach. And he was scheduled to be there for two weeks. After the second night, this deacon told the pastor, get rid of him. Don't like him. Get him out of here. And so the pastor told him after that second night, he said, I told you I wasn't going to tell the story. The pastor told him after that second night, he said, he said, sorry, Brother Summerall, but we're going to have to shut the meeting down. What? I set two weeks aside. You told me to come preach for you for two weeks two nights and now you want me gone well this deacon doesn't want you here see this was a deacon possessed church guess who wrote guess where the term deacon possessed came from deacon possessed church came from dr mark t barclay he wrote a thesis on it in his bible class years ago and that phrase has been used ever since he said he said well this deacon he doesn't like you he don't like your preaching and so he goes, he said, well, we'll give you another two nights because obviously, you know, we, we told you two weeks, we won't just kick you out tonight. But after these, you know, next two nights, we're going to have to send you home. He goes to his room. He says, Lord, this ain't right. You sent me here. You told me to come. And the Lord said, win him by, your, by the love of God. Bring him into your circle by the love of God. He's trying to push you out. You bring him in. Right. What do you mean? 
Bring him in. He said, when you go to the meeting tonight, you go straight to him. You find him. You put your arms around Literally, you put your arms around him, hug him, kiss him on the cheek, say, sure love you, brother. He said, I don't want to do that. Are you kidding me? I want to punch the guy. Did he really want to punch him? No. His old nature did. So you know what he did? Exactly what God told him. You know why? Because that's the guy on the inside. He walked up, he saw him, he walked straight up to him. You know, the guy was a little stunned, you know, like, what in the world is he doing? He walked straight up to him, hugged him, said, I sure love you, brother, kissed him on the cheek. God bless you. And he walked off and did the meeting that night. Right. Next night, guess what? No change. They're actually at the pastor's house talking about him having to leave. And he goes to his room that night, said, Lord, I did what you told me to do. He said, do it again. No, 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 no. I already did it once. That was hard enough for me to do it once. I certainly don't want to go back and do it again. I'm telling you, do it again. Yes, All right, Lord. See, if you think walking by the Spirit is easy right. when dealing with your flesh, right. he walks in the church. That brother sees him. He starts walking toward him. He tried to get away from him. <laughs> he cornered him, walked up. Grabbed him again, hugged him, said, I sure do love you, brother. Kissed him on the cheek and walked away. And that guy's just like looking at him doing this. What in the world's wrong with this guy? But after that meeting that night, they were back at the pastor's house. The pastor said, Brother Summerall, would it be possible for you to stay on through the end of next week? Well, I was already scheduled to be here, sure. He said, well, we've had a change. The deacon wasn't there. We've had a change in the deacon. He now thinks you're the greatest preacher that's ever lived on the planet. And told me so himself. See what love does? See what love does? All right, moving on. Once you get this, I got to receive the word of God with what? Meekness. To get it implanted in my life, what do I got to do? Number two, I got to be a doer. I got to act accordingly. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Doing what? Deceiving yourself. Deceiving yourself. You're self-deceived if you're not applying what the Bible teaches you. You're to do as a disciple. Right? Not going to church, I'm not reading my Bible, I'm not praying. Okay, deceive yourself. You're not a doer of the word, you're just going to walk in deception. You're just going to walk in deception. 23, if anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who observes, like a man, who observes his natural face in the mirror when he looks in the mirror. He observes himself, verse 24, but when he goes away, guess what he does? Guess what you don't want to do to walk in the new man? Forget who you are. Guess what? Christians forget who they are and don't walk in that new man. They're not doers of the word. But he, 25, who looks in the perfect law of liberty, that's God's word. It is a law. It's an established rule. Not like a rule you got to live by. Just talking about like faith is a law. It works every time. It's an established rule. What does it bring? Liberty. What does the truth bring? Liberty. Liberty. Notice, if you look into the perfect law of liberty, you continue in it. You're not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. What will you be? Come on, tell me out loud. You'll be blessed in what you do. You want to know why? Because you'll live the life that Jesus lived. Jeremiah 3, closing. Jeremiah 3. So those scriptures are simply very clear. If you aren't going to take time to live in the Bible to fellowship with Jesus. Why am I living in the Bible? To fellowship with Jesus. Not to just learn principles. Nope. I want to fellowship with Jesus and get to know the real me. And as I begin to see the real me, picture the real me, the guy who's love, joy, peace, joy, joy. I think more Christians need to learn. You're joy. They don't look too joyful. You don't know what happened to me. Rejoice always. See, the problem is you're not a doer of the word. And that's why it don't work for you. You deceived yourself. 
You keep allowing what goes on in the natural to get you down and all frustrated and in, fle in the flesh and all carnal. And, and then, you get, then you do what? You start complaining, moaning, groaning, griping and all that stuff. And you're not full of joy. You're, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Yes. And it's in you. Yes. You listening? Yes. But see, this don't work if you're not doing what? Applying the Bible. What, what disciples do? Walking out the new you. Walking out the new man on the inside. When you learn what this Bible says in Romans to Revelation of what a disciple is in Christ, that's you. Amen. And you start living like it. Amen. I said you start living like Amen. it. To be able to get this renewal of the mind takes an aspect of what you got to do of two things in your life. One, you got to live in the word. Mm -hmm. But two, like it or not, you got to live under the teaching of a shepherd. Amen. Jeremiah 3.14. This was a prophecy about the day we're now living in. Jeremiah 3.14, return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I'm married to you. I will take you, one from a city, two from a family. Notice this, and I will bring you where? Where will I bring you to? So many know this, but I'll just explain it. Yes, this was speaking directly to those of, Jeremiah, of, those of Jeremiah's day, but it's prophetic. Because the next verse says he's going to give us shepherds. Shepherds weren't in the Old Testament for the believers. They had a priest. And the priesthood. So this is referring to a prophecy of what's to come. Because he says in verse 15, I will give you. So he hasn't already given them yet. I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. What will they do? Feed me. With what? Knowledge and understanding. So what is verse 14 referring to? Old backsliding children refers to those who are sinners. And then once they come to Jesus and get born again, you listening? If you're not backslidden in the sense as a sinner and you've come back to Jesus, come back to God, you're born again. Notice this. I'm going to take you one from a city, two from a family. What am I going to do? I'm going to bring you to Zion. Zion in the Old Testament refers to the church. I'm going to bring you to the church, the body of Christ. And when I do, verse 15, what are you going to find? A shepherd. What's that shepherd going to do? According to God's heart, he's going to feed me. Say, feed me. With knowledge. And understanding. So here's the key, folks. To renew your mind, I want you to get this. To renew your mind, you must, when you come to it personally, see it as a time of fellowship with God that you're feeding on it. I'm not just reading the Bible. I'm feeding on it. How am I feeding on it? Because I'm developing a relationship with God. I'm getting it in me. And I'm applying it to my life. If you're feeding on it, you're putting application to it. But I'm also supposed to get my mind renewed to the Word of God where? Under my shepherd. God obviously knew you needed a shepherd or why would he give us shepherds? What would be the purpose of gifting a shepherd if you didn't need one? If you want to become like I have become a disciple of Jesus, guess what it's going to take? Expenditure of much time. Expenditure of much time. You're not going to become a disciple devoting a little bit of your time to what a disciple is. No, this is my whole new lifestyle. This is the way I live now. I like it. I said I like it. It's a good way to live. Like Jesus lived? Are you kidding me? But one, you got to live in your Bible and learn to put application in it to what it teaches you about you for it to come alive in you through application. So when you want to punch, you choose to forgive. Your flesh will not like it. I guarantee you. Your flesh is just like Brother Summerall's. Your flesh will moan and groan and complain all the way you're going up there to hug somebody. Amen. <coughs> your flesh likes nothing about it, but your spirit likes it. Amen. And by application of doing that, what did he do? He allowed his spirit to dominate. And lo and behold, ladies and gentlemen, what happened? Spirit of God went to work and was able to change that man's heart. Glory to God. Can I get a better amen? amen? 
But I also got to do what to feed? So to feed on the word of God, I got to live in it. I got to receive all that it says and I got to put application to it. But I also got to live where? In the church. I got to live under a shepherd. Right? Because we're, first of all, where do most people even learn about what I'm teaching you right now? From a shepherd. Most wouldn't learn this on their own. So I've got to have a shepherd who's going to what? Feed me as well with knowledge and understanding. The key for the person to become a disciple, number one again, is that word needs to do what? Needs to come alive in you. For that word to come alive in you, ladies and gentlemen, you got to do what? You got to feed on the word personally and under the teaching of a shepherd. Now, I want to help you with something on feeding on the word personally, when you're in it personally, or in the church. You ready? Yeah. Retention rate for just listening to what's being said, 5%. Right. If all I do is just read my Bible, walk away, that's why I got our guys journaling. Amen. That's why I got our guys writing something down that God shows you. Amen. Because if all you did is read it, your retention rate's around 5%. Oh. You still with me? If all I did is read it or all I did is hear it preach, but I took no notes, I wrote nothing down, God spoke to me, your retention rate of what you listen to is 5% average. This is proven statistics. Retention rate for taking notes. That doesn't mean a stenographer. That just means jotting stuff down, God speaks to you. What does your retention rate go to? 30 to 50% based on the individual. Think about that. You want to know why I take notes? Because I don't remember everything I was told. How about you? Are you kidding? My wife, she'll say, hey, I need you to go. When you go to Walmart today, I need you to pick up this and this. If she gets over three things, I say, uh-uh, right Because when I get there, I'll walk in the circle. What was that she wanted me to get now? Are you still here? So I tell her, write it down. I, you know, text, I say, text me. Send me a text. Write it down, send me a text. Retention rate for taking notes, 30 to 50%. 90% of what you learn, what you learn when taught, it, it, uh, excuse me, retention rate goes up to 90% of what you learn when you teach somebody else. Amen. When you turn around and you start teaching others what you've been taught, your retention rate goes up to 90%. Wow. We're not just supposed to become disciples, we're supposed to make disciples. Amen. Last one, retention rate comes up approximately up to 75%. When you learn to practice what you've learned. Amen. When you put into practice what you've learned, you'll retain 75% of it. Amen. Don't tell me being a doer of the word is not important. Right. Can I get a better amen? Yeah. The first characteristic or attribute of a disciple, they abide in the word. Meaning what? That word comes alive in them. Wow. How they do that? They come to the word themselves. They receive it with humility, accepting everything God says about them. And they do what? Put it into practice. They start practicing those things. You listening? But they also come where? To the church. Because by hearing it put into practice, they're feeding on it. And they also come to God's house to be fed by a shepherd. Well, how are you going to get fed by a shepherd if you're only retaining 5%? You're not. You're not. If you're all, all you're retaining is 5%, how much of that are you going to do then? How long is this going to take you to become a disciple? Pretty long time. Pretty long time. God knows what we need. Amen? The Bible says write the vision. The word vision there means revelation. What God reveals to you. Write it. God said it. Get mad at me. Well, get mad at me. Get mad at God. God said it. God said write the vision. Write what I revealed to you and make it plain. Make it plain. You ready? That he who reads it may run with it. 
That's retention. Amen. Can I get a better amen? amen? Thank God we can be a disciple. Yes. Live like Jesus lived. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.